0: Let's just pray. Father in heaven, thank you just for your goodness to us. It was beach chairs and canopies, uh, wind and sprinkling and hot sun. And Lord, you brought us through all of that. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't too terribly difficult, Lord, but Father, we just thank you. We're just grateful that we are here uh, where we can worship Christ. We can worship the Savior. That's our heart, God. And Lord, we pray that this would be um, here at El Corazon, that this would be a place where we would uh, invite people, um, share with them the good news of Christ, that their sins can be forgiven, that they can be washed. Lord, we pray that uh, our, our, our kids will be saved here. We pray that our kids will hear the word of God here. We pray that folks would be challenged in their walks and people will grow in Christ. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Our text for this morning is going to be verses 1 to 14. If you recall, we've just been charging down 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in this passage, God is challenging the church by Paul to the church in Corinth to support Christ-exalting pastors. This is the this is the whole theme of the text. I recall um, I was in um, as I was reading about different missionary stories. There would be stories of this uh, woman, and she said her her parents were missionaries in the Philippines in the nineteen seventies. And one time they mentioned that they were uh, missing a good cup of tea, and so what. A lot of folks thought was generosity was actually kind of just given the shells of uh, and, and the dregs of, of what uh, they had left over. They thought they were giving to God. And what they were doing is people were starting to dry their used tea bags. And what they would do and, and ship it to the Philippines. And by the time it got to the Philippines, they were moldy, thinking they were offering to God. And it wasn't their best. They weren't giving their best to God's representatives out in the field. Looking at this text, and I'm, I was wondering, what is this text about? And it truly is about supporting Christ-exalting pastors and missionaries. So let's read the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I had uh, Brother... Jason reads 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this: Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and do not? does not use the milk of the flock. I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written because the plowman ought to Plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted in me. I'm going to stop right there. Supporting Christ, exalting pastors. The preaching point this morning, because people can be tempted, especially with the abuse of the church. We see a lot of uh, prosperity preachers we know of all all over on, on TV, right? The abuse of the church of folks and pastors who say, and because they want to line their pockets and they want to line uh, their uh, their tubs full of money and so a lot of folks get turned off why should we give to the church why should we give to support preachers of the gospel and yet all of these things should not be thrown out you should not throw the baby with a bathwater. god calls us to support men and please understand i say this very carefully christ exalting pastors not pastors who preach the me gospel. Not pastors who preach, if you give, God's going to bless you tenfold, and so now your life is going to be rich. You, if you give money into the tiller, then it, in the tiller in heaven, you can hear it out there. Not those kind of pastors. Not pastors who preach false gospel. Not pastors who preach that Christ is here to fulfill your wildest dreams. But Christ-exalting pastors. Pastors who preach the glory of Christ. Pastors who preach... The preach the cross of Christ, pastors who preach the life of Christ, pastors who preach the transformation and the forgiveness of Christ, I say this very carefully, Christ-exalting pastors. So the preaching point this morning is God's passage to you this morning is given so you would excel in the godly conviction of financially supporting Christ-exalting pastors, I say you would excel because I tell you by the grace of God we are still a young church and brothers and sisters there was only probably recall if if, uh, Manny and Jeremy and Dre there's maybe one time where I I think I was I think I need to get a job I think I need to get a side job we were really low on the budget and God was really testing our faith but I just want to commend you, RBC. You have allowed me to focus on the Word of God, to be able to preach freely, to get in the text, and to be able to feed properly and to counsel. I thank you for that. So this sermon to you is an excel still more. This is an area where we could all excel still more. And I said financially supporting because this is what Paul talks about. He's not talking about just simply uh, helping with uh, you know, like yard work or something like that. But he's talking about financially supporting. I say Christ-exalting pastors because these are f- folks who focus on the gospel. Folks who focus on Christ and forgiveness that is found in Christ. And pastors, these are men who are, re- uh, who are recognized by churches because they have the qualifications as stated in 1 Timothy, as stated in Titus. So if you are a visitor and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, please understand. Our desire is that you would come to know Him first. We're not after your money. That's not what we're after. This is why you probably notice if you've been visiting, you've probably noticed we don't pass an offering plate. We don't believe in guilting people. We don't believe we believe actually when the gate uh, when the plate is being passed that folks feel guilty and they have to whip out money. We don't want to cause that to anyone. Why? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, God loves you. what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver, one that gives out of the heart, one that is not under compulsion. Now, I know other churches, they pass it along a plate. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything about their convictions. It's just simply the way we're applying this text. We don't want to give, we don't want unbelievers, we don't want visitors who are not even members coming to our church feeling, okay, now they're going to hit me with the bottom line of money. That's not what we want to do. It could be a stumbling block, sincerely. who come and visit a church. Oh, you just want money. We want folks to know the gospel. Notice in verse 12. He says in chapter 9, verse 12. This is the reason why Paul does all these things. If others share the right over you, do ye not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things. Why does he do it? He says, so that we will not cause, so we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And so in that case, Paul himself said, I'm not going to take my right. The gospel of Christ simply is that God created us to image forth his glory. That we would worship him and honor him. And fellowship with him in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our relationships with other people. That we have sinned and we have been separated from him. And that Jesus Christ came to live, to die, to be resurrected for us. And that if we believe and repent upon Christ, that we will be saved. And so we invite you to turn from your sin and place your trust in Christ. But for believers, particularly for members of RBC, this is your privilege and obligation for the spread of the gospel and the glory of Christ. Now, I say pastor because at first, when I was thinking about this text, I was kind of softening the way I was it. Was, it was like, you should give to ministries. You should give to organizations. But that's not the tone that Paul says here. He is stating the fact that there is this relationship between the local church, that as they receive spiritual benefits, spiritual blessing, that there's this relationship that says, I'm going to hold the ropes for you, brother. I'm going to hold them so that you could be released, so that you could preach the word of God. So the emphasis is the care of the man who cares for the church. You don't give simply to gospel preaching a no-name abstract idea. You give to support the man who preaches the gospel. You cannot have one without the other. Now, I understand where you're sitting here and I'm preaching this. I'm the gospel preacher here. At the risk of even having my motives judged for preaching this text... Since I try to be a Christ-exalting pastor, but God placed it here for you, for your growth and your edification, as well as mine. So I have to preach the text. If you're looking at me and saying, okay, I know what kind of motives you have, you understand. You see the predicament I'm in. But I have to preach it the way it is. Now this was a conviction that even God placed in me that I was taught and developed in my heart even when I was a high school student. That if I had money, I'm going to help the ministry so that Christ be exalted in other places. And I grew in the blessing of staying committed even if I earned $10, I would give a little. I, I remember when I, I got my, first, my other job and I was making 10 bucks an hour. Man, I thought I was raking in the cash. What he's not looking at how much you give. He's giving up. He's looking at your dedication with what you have. And so I grew in the blessing of staying committed. Though I was, I struggled, like all folks before I was a pastor. I struggled. Am I going to make my bills this this month? Are we going to make it this month? So now. Let me uh, continue on, and we'll see how far we get, okay? So God gives you seven reasons. Seven reasons, man. Seven reasons. God gives you seven reasons for you to excel in the godly conviction of financially supporting Christ-exalting pastors. This could include missionaries and ministers. Six reasons are in the text. One reason is another text, the one that Jason read. We're going to go jump there afterwards, okay? As an introduction to this section, we could surmise from the way Paul is talking that the Corinthian church, sometimes they were it was planted by Paul and Paul discipled them. It's amazing. He fed them. He discipled them. He cared for them. He counseled them. But they never gave to him. They never helped him financially. And he never said a word about it. He never said a word, and he just said, I'm going to work all day, and I'm going to go home and work all night as a tent maker, try to make a living, and I'm going to come back the next day, maybe sleep four or five hours, and do it all again. But what happened, what was starting to happen, was that there were other preachers, some false preachers who would come into the church. And what he was hearing is that the church... to these guest speakers. But never gave to their own ministry. Never gave to their own pastor. Paul himself. And so Paul has to address it. Why? Because now it's setting the tone. For how churches are to be independently financial. Financially independent. And it's giving the church. What it is the obligation to care for the pastor and his family. So number one. Support your pastors because they have needs. 1 to 6. The idea here is pastors have needs too. Now you're going to say, of course they do. It's like when the the kid saw his pastor and they went to his house and, and, and the kid saw his pastor there and he goes, Oh, I didn't know you had a home. I thought you lived at the church building. Sometimes people don't think that. After the worship and the encouragement in the word, sometimes folks see pastors as that. Oh, they said nice things. Oh, it was a good day. Oh, I'm glad for that. And they don't understand that there's also needs. There's also needs as well. Verse 1 says, "Am I not free?" Just as all Christians are free in Christ, Paul is saying, "For the truth has indeed set them free, they came to know the truth that set them free." But I Paul also enjoy this. You understand? Paul asserts the freedom that the Corinthians exercise and enjoy in Christ which Paul himself taught them. It's available to Paul himself and now Paul talks about something that here is distinct to the text. Now we pull the application from the text, but let me tell you this is what Paul is distinct to the text. He says, "Am I not an apostle?" The word there Paul apostle means to be sent. Paul was a sent commissioned by Christ. We don't believe that there are any apostles now. Because in Acts chapter 1, there is a definite requirement for what an apostle is. So if folks say, I am an apostle with a capital A right now, I would say, no, you are not. Why? Because the apostle is rated as here. He says here, the apostle is someone in Acts chapter 1, you can look it up later, is someone who is chosen, Someone who is commissioned and someone who has seen the risen Lord. That's why Paul cites this. He says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And the obvious answer is yes. So the apostles, if you're going to ask what's the difference, Paul says that the apostles, if you look in Ephesians 4, were given at the foundation of the church of Christ. And now we have pastors and teachers given in Ephesians 2... To help building of the church, let me let me take you there to make it more clear. Look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. I'm just going to jump here real quick. Now let's go to four. You notice here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, verse 11, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so what Paul says is, all of these groups of leaders were given for the church. But we know that the apostles and the prophets were given for the foundation of the church, of which I can explain to you, not at a later date. But he's given us for the foundation of the church. And so now we have, these are pastors who love the church, plant the church, support the church. the church. And now back in 1 Corinthians 9, would you go with me there, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, have I not seen the Lord? I'm an apostle too. So in application, these principles of stewardship and financial supporting the pastor still hold. And you'll see this as we get further into text. Now, Paul goes on to say, in verse 1 still, Are you not my work in the Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Paul went to Corinth. Paul planted the church. Paul taught and taught and taught, and discipled, and discipled, and discipled, and he preached, and he preached, and he preached. The Corinthian church's salvation and growth was directly related, humanly speaking, to the instrumentation of Paul's evangelistic and discipleship efforts. Paul says, didn't I just, didn't I give myself to you? That's what he said. Verse 2. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The word there for seal, as we know, is this wax. Uh, they would write letters and they would seal it with hot wax and they would put their a stamp on there. And it was a stamp of authenticity. And Paul says, my office of apostleship has been stamped by your changed lives. The very fact that your lives have been changed because of the preaching of the gospel of Christ is the authenticity of the ministry. And so he says in verse 3, my defense are to those who examine me. This, this inquiry, this investigation, and Paul wants to defend this case. He wants to defend his case, it's not for money for him. He wants to defend his case for him. It's for the perpetuity for Christ-exalting pastors after him. Why? Because he didn't take the money. Even though it was his right. But he is saying you guys are not operating on a biblical godly principle of giving. Now he says in verse 4. Remember, support your pastors because they have needs. And the, and the, the tone of this is they have needs too. Yes. He says here verse 4. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? He asks a very simple question. Of which the obvious answer is. Of course Paul. You should be able to eat and drink. Paul is drawing the curtain to the reality. So that they could finally see. I minister to you all day. And because you have not given me anything to eat. I have to work all night. And I can barely make enough. To eat and drink. Some don't seem to realize that pastors, as everyone else, has bills to pay, have bills to pay, food to buy, a roof to maintain, utilities to keep going. Every financial strain that a typical family has, so does a a pastor's family as well. And Paul had to jog them to understand what he was going through for their good. When inflation hits, many expect a raise every year. <clears throat> but sadly, some churches think that when inflation hits, then the pastor and his family have to take the hit as well. Now, be sure when I say this, I'm talking about you guys, okay? Redeemer Bible Church. I have, as I said, by the grace of God been able to minister at an amazing capacity for our young church. The Lord, I praise the Lord for you. And many of you has, ha- has had this conviction to free up your pastor for ministry. I praise the Lord for you. And then Paul says, I have more needs. He says in verse 5, don't we have the right to take an un- a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So, Paul is breaking this down. The apostles and other brothers and Peter, also known as Cephas, with all the other apostles they were married. And apparently the apostles and the other Christian leaders. They would from time to time have to do ministry trips. They would have to go and preach here or preach there. Or visit different churches to encourage and strengthen others. Because these trips were sometimes long and arduous. They would bring their wives for encouragement, prayer, companionship, help in the ministry. And protection from sin, disqualification disqualification has happened too many times to count as you guys well know the point is when the pastor has a trip the church should pay the wife's way as she ministers to the pastor in the only way that she can and Paul addressed it quite probably he was a widower quite probably he had the right to marry a believer but he chose not to and the Corinthians knew about the other apostles, and they st- but still did not support him and so th- I think this is this take along a believing wife is biblical justification for the pastor to be paid well enough so that the wife can have more time and availability to help her husband in the ministry. why uh, I, Let me give you just a little bit of a curtain okay I just of what we do, okay? My wife and I, we have to have a standing meeting every morning of what's going on in the church. Who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to counsel? How do we plan? So uh, about an hour and a half, two hours, we would talk about all these things. And my wife carries that. And she wouldn't want you to know. She did, But I'm just telling you, you guys have to know this, right? My wife counsels women. My wife is in the women's ministry. She leads women in Crew 412. In KoA is counsel for Happy Harbor staff, disciples, the women's leaders in the church, helps me with the details of which I would miss. She tacked on graphic art, opens up her home for hospitality for travelers, for RBC, for visitors. She does outreach with unbelievers. This morning, she even did the notes for the sermon because Tachi was occupied today. Not to mention homeschool, child counseling, and. The hardest job of all being my wife. (laughs) It's to the heart of generously supporting Christ-exalting workers. And so Paul says, or do only Barnabas and I have a right to refrain? Paul says, they have a right to work heartily in the ministry of the word and not have to work on the side. Paul and Barnabas, for this ministry, gave up that right. And I understand certain ministries have to do that. When I was in um, college, I was part of a ministry that ministered to only college students. And part of their conviction is we will not accept money from students. The reason being is because they didn't want to be a stumbling block for the students. And rather they had other churches support them as they ministered to the students and shared Christ. That's where Paul and Barnabas were. But when he found out they were giving liberally and freely to teachers who have not stayed the course, then Paul had to speak up because he envisioned them as supporting their own pastor. All this to say is pastors and their families have needs too. They're just not smiley faces after the sermon, but they live in the same world you do. Your pastors because they have needs too. Second, support your pastors because they work hard. Verse 7 says he gives three different illustrations the soldier, the vintner, and the shepherd. He asks the same questions to each, which are obvious. No one. The answer is no one. Okay? Now, the first one is a soldier who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. Now, I'm learning from my Marine brothers. I'm learning that Marines don't like to be called soldiers. Is that correct? They are Marines, right? Is that correct? Now you're all quiet. Where's my Marine brothers? Is that correct? Please correct me. I need to learn, right? They don't like to be called soldiers. Why? Because that's Army. They're called Marines. Okay, for the sake of illustration, let's supply the word Marine into the text. Okay? He says, I know our Marines here, uh, he says, in exchange for training, imagine this, strategizing, planning, and fighting, folks go to the recruiter, they put their hands over their heart, and they pledge to the United States. But the Marines do not pledge for free. Do you understand? The Marines expect what? I bill, so if I go to school, they'll pay my college. Correct. The Marines expect a stipend for housing. Right? Is that right? I better get a stipend for housing. For my husband is leaving all the time. Right? I better get that stipend. Right? What else? Uh, if you're in the barracks, you better expect the mess hall. Right? Uh, or uh, I expect a VA loan if I'm going to buy my first house. Is that true? Yes, right? I better expect it. I better expect free medical care for my whole family, correct? And I better expect retirement after 20 years. That's why I'm learning as I'm with Marines. They're all saying, I think I'm going to do my 20. I'm going to finish my 20 so I could get retirement for the rest of my life. And rightly so. None of us would say, "Oh man, that's not way." Imagine what you would say. Okay, you go up to Brother Andre Owens. Okay, go. "Hey Andre, um, I know you were, I know you were in Yuma, okay, and you did a 13-hour day, and you lost probably three liters of water, okay, because it's so hot." By the way, Yuma is in the desert. Okay, but you know what? I know that you work 13 hours, but you're going to have to work another job tonight. Maybe deliver pizzas. Maybe do Uber Eats or something so that you could pay for Stephanie and the kids so they could go to the the BX and buy some food. And you would say, I'm not signing up for that. I work for you. I give my all for you. But I expect you to pay me. Of course do you understand. Because why? I work hard. Or how about the vintner, right? The one who plants a vineyard doesn't not eat the fruit of it. Would you the one who actually owns an apple orchard, uh, you, you know, you can't make any applesauce. All those apples need to go away. You'd say, no, of course. own apple applesauce. Or those who tend the flock and does not use the milk of the flock. Imagine if you had a A bunch of milking cows. 20 milking cows. And you wake up in the morning. Every 3 a.m. And milk the cows. But you're not even allowed to have a little cream. In your own coffee. You'd say no way. This is not happening. And so Paul says. No one would think that it's right or good. Because you work so hard. That you should not be the first. To expect pay for it. It is right it is expected. And Paul's argument is then why don't you think God's pastors should be supported if they work hard in preaching and teaching and counseling? Number 3 support your pastors needs to support your pastors because they work hard. Support your pastors because they benefit you. Look at verses 8 through 11. Verse 8 says I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment and basically what he's saying is these illustrations are just common sense to everyone. But I'm going to go further. Let's go further. He says, or does not the law say these things? And now he cites a text Deuteronomy. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 25.4. Threshing is separating the grain from the straw in crops such as the ox was allowed to eat his payment while he worked as he was threshing and removing the, the wheat. And then Paul says, God is not concerned about oxen, is he? He's not saying he doesn't care about animals. What he's saying is, if God so cares about the oxen, would he not care about the hardworking pastor, elder, preacher for his glory? Right? He says, or is he not speaking altogether for their sake? Yes, for our sake it was written... The plowman ought to plow in hope. The thresher to the thresh in sharing the crops. And here's his justification. Verse 11. Here it is. If we sowed spiritual things in you. This is what Paul's, his arguments. Is it too much that we should reap material things from you? He says rather than material work for material pay. Paul says the minister should be absorbed in spiritual work. For material pay, and pastors should dedicate themselves to the Word and prayer and love and desire Christ to be in full expression in the church's lives. Now, notice. Keep your finger here. This is not the only place. This is numerous places, but keep your finger here and go to First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen. First Timothy chapter five, and verse seventeen. he says. You notice verse 18 he uses the same example. But look at verse 17. The elders who rule well. These are elders. We believe elders are the same as pastors. Are the same as overseers. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So there are a group of elders, this is what the Bible says... And then there's this subgroup of those who work especially hard at preaching and teaching. And the Bible says that they're worthy of double honor. If you've got a pastor who will proclaim Christ to you, even when you don't want to hear, or will proclaim Christ to you when you don't have enough strength to hear, or will hold you up or weep with you when you are having a hard time, the Bible says that that pastor is worthy of double honor. And that honor there is really double pay. They should be paid well. The pastor should be paid well. I remember. Let me say this. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Christ's exalting pastors should be supported well. There's this false double standard that folks believe that should apply to pastors and missionaries. They think that their rate of pay should be severely lower than Than a so-called secular job. The Bible says they should be paid well. And free to steward their money. As you do. They should have that same freedom. I remember I was in a pastor's conference. And I was a traveling pastor. So sometimes I get to say stuff. And then leave. That's what I like. And then maybe they deal with it. Right. But I. I was at a pastor's conference and uh, this pastor says, how am I going to have time to really preach the word of God? He's saying, I said, what? He said, I have to preach four times a week. I can't study like you do, Angelo. What you just taught us because I taught a workshop on how to study and how to preach the word of God. I have to teach three Bible studies in the evenings. I got to teach theology classes and counsel the sheep, and I'm also expected to do visitation with 200 members before the year end. I have to actually hold aside some of them raise chickens, some of them raise just to uh, just to support my own family. I can't study, focus on the Word of God. I just give kind of superficial teaching. And then the church would complain about my sermons lacking the depth. The church barely gave. And when I was there, I rebuked the church. I said, look what your pastor's doing. You don't free him up to truly study the word of God. He's got to raise chickens to make a living. You guys are milking and taking everything from that pastor and not helping him a bit look at his wife look at his kids they barely have good shoes on that's more of an indication of you church and what you value do you value the proclamation of the word of god do you really value that because it is sold not just by your words. as It is expressed not just by your words. But it is expressed by your checkbook. It is. Really what am I really really interested in? Do I re- am I really interested in the proclamation of Christ? in the saving of souls and wanting people to know him, then of course, by extension, by logical extension, I'm going to pray, I'm going to encourage, and I'm going to give to that end. Well, don't we sing that? We sing that, take my money and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. We sing it so easily, and yet we don't stop and think about the words. Do we really care about that? And if, uh, or how about the Baptist church that paid so poorly because they thought it was their job to keep their pastor humble by barely paying anything? And I asked the Baptist church if anyone would like to work for that pay, and they said no. I remember we were at a wedding one time. Jeanette and I were at a wedding, and it wasn't us. I wasn't a pastor yet, and there was this pastor. Uh, he loved Christ. I knew him. He preached Christ. Uh, but whenever he got a free, free free day or something, he liked to go f- uh, fly fishing. And one of the guys on the table says, you go fly fishing on a pastor's salary? And I could just tell the pastor's countenance just went down. Why? Because that's what he thinks. That's h- how much he values a pastor. Oh, he's just there. He's kind of like a, you know, he's just... Kind of like just a, a glorified greeter rather than the proclaimer of the word of Christ to my soul. He says, Paul says, if we sowed spiritual things in you. If you receive spiritual benefit from the church, from your pastor and you do not give. Really, this is what my pastor told me as I was growing. Really, if you receive spiritual benefit and you do not give, you're robbing the church. Now I understand, you lose a job, don't expect you to give. The Bible says to give as you are blessed, correct? As you are blessed. If you're a student and you just rely on gifts from people, I don't expect you to give regularly. The Bible doesn't expect you. The Bible only expects you to give whenever you receive. And the, the same applies to me. I have not stopped giving the bible doesn 't say as if you are a pastor, you stop giving. you continue to give to ministries and you give to other men who preach the gospel, but if you learn about Christ and you are growing and you 're being challenged and you have encouraging conversations and someone cares enough to rebuke you, is it not it is a responsibility of the lord 's people to give a faithful pastor financial support, as one commentator put it. To give happily, to give generously, and to give trustingly. Number four, oh, we are going to have to hustle. Number four, support your pastors because they deserve it. Notice in verse twelve, if they deserve it. First, I say that if they deserve it. Okay, now then, because they deserve it. Verse twelve. Verse 12, he says, If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. And shortly, as I explained before, he says, If others share the right over you, what he's saying is there were other teachers who were coming in, and you were paying them and helping them while your own pastor was having a, a difficult time. Number five, support your pastors because God planned it that way. Notice in verse 13, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the altar and those who attend regularly to the altar have their the altar? What does that mean? He is alluding back to the tribes of Israel. All of them got a portion of land except the Levites. The Levites were to be in the temple and they didn't get a portion of the land. They didn't get uh, an inheritance. Their inheritance was to serve in the temple. And so they relied on all the other 11 tribes as they gave to the Lord to support the priests. Support your pastors because it follows in that design. That God would have certain men uh, sold out. Certain men who would uh, preach the word of Christ. And that you would support the hard (laughs) Laborious work of preaching the gospel. Not many of you know until you start going into the classes and so you start being with us and you start learning and you start teaching a lot of times Manny will say Angelo I don't know how you do it week after week. I get tired doing this once every two or three weeks. I don't know how you do it. But you don't understand that uh, that it, it takes actually 30 hours for a sermon. 30 to 40 hours for a sermon. Until you start teaching. Am I right, men? Is that right? Then you guys all of a sudden say, oh, you know, man, I don't know if I could teach again so soon. I want to, but it is hard. It is hard. It is very hard. But praise the Lord, huh? Amen. In his economy, this is how he's designed the local church to function. Number six, support your pastors. <laughs> this is a Sunday school answer. Support your pastors because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so. Notice verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaimed the gospel to get their living from the gospel. He has a reference to the Lord and Paul says, that's Jesus. Jesus said... That those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Maybe he was referring to Luke chapter 10 verse 7. Where Jesus says, and stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you. For the the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Or some other reference not written. The Lord commands people to offer support to those minister to them. Now he does not command ministers to accept it. We have actually brothers who won't accept. Do you know that? Praise the Lord. We have brothers. And Nelson knows this because he sees all the money. Nelson's our treasurer. Okay, But we have a brother who, it is our obligation as a church, whenever they come here, we give them an honorarium. I don't know if you knew that. As a church, if they bless us with the word of Christ, we follow the principles in the text that we will bless them monetarily. For coming here. For spending the time in the word. For blessing us with the word of God. We have a lot of brothers who come in here and preach. Right? And when they come here and preach. And you ought to. Because they spend in money getting here. Traveling. Spending the time working. A lot of times people think. Ah, you know, he loves the Lord. Don't pay him. That is rude. That's hurtful. That is like letting the ox be muzzled when he's working. But there are brothers who... It is up to them. He, we said, we're going to give you as a young church an honorarium. And we give generously in this church uh, an honorarium to those who preach for us. We only pick those who preach Christ. We only pick those who, who love Christ, who are discipling their people. And then they preach Christ and we're all blessed. He goes, well, I don't want the cash. I said, well, this is what God calls us to do. We're going to give it to you. You can do what you want. Our offering box is there. That's our offering box if people were wondering. Our offering box is over there. You can put it back in. But as far as us as RBC and its elders and uh, and future deacons. We are going to represent RBC. We are going to do this text. We're going to give. And so he puts it in the box every time. He comes here, preaches and then he puts it back in the box. Because he loves RBC. And that's just... We just know that that happens, but it's not going to stop us from giving. But we ought to give because what? Jesus said so. Number seven. Number seven. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9, okay? Support pastors, your pastors, because you will be blessed. And Paul writes this as a uh, Corinth gave to the Macedonians and helped them. But the uh, principles and the application still fit. And I'll, I will try and see if I could finish up here. I wanted you to see this. That as a discipline for yourself, it helps, it blesses your life and it enriches your life. And I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily with monetary value. I'm saying with eternal rewards and joy in giving. And you don't know that joy until you give without any put on someone when you give like that you know you helped that ministry happen i love to tell people well i'll save that story for the end okay let me save that story uh first uh, second corinthians 9 now we're in second corinthians 9 look at verse 7 because it produces a generous heart. Notice in verse 7. Each one must, not, must do as he has purpose in his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. What happens is as you give and you give. God produces cheerfulness and joy in your heart. Why? Because the happiest moment in your life is when you came to Christ. Isn't that true? When your sins were forgiven. So the happiest moment in my life. Again is when someone else comes to know Christ. And how do I know that happens? How do I know is the function. And the mechanics of the, how that happens. Is how can I back engineer that. In the spirit realm. It's through the preaching of the word of God. So I am joyful. When someone preaches the word of God. Because I know that what's happening. Is people are getting saved and fed. Number two. Because you get resources to do more. Notice in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. so said that always having all sufficiency in everything. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Skip to verse 10. Verse 10 says. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase the harvest for righteousness. What he's saying here is. Look at verse 8. That when you give. God will give you sufficiency for everything. So as you give to good works, you may have abundance for every good deed. You may think this doesn't work in the economy of God, but as I give towards God's workers, what happens is I actually get more to give more. A lot of times when folks are who are believers in Christ and they say they have money problems, the first thing I ask is, are you giving to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he first? Because maybe he doesn't want you to simply receive that, receive spiritual benefit, and not give to him. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are at financially, please listen to me. What this does as a regular part of giving in your life is it stems this idolatrous heart in yourself. For more, 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 more toys, more things, more everything, whereas you, if you continue as a discipline to give to the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is it shows and it proves God, I am not bought by this idol of money i will do I will do for you with with or without, I will give to you for the glory of Christ, number. Uh, uh, notice in verse nine, it will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Notice, as it is written, he who scattered abroad he gives to the poor; his righteousness endures forever. You have more influence to help others. Verse eleven, it produces thankfulness in your heart. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality that God says: when you give, you will be enriched. Which through is the producing of thanksgiving to God. What happens is when you give to a ministry, that ministry blesses others and then you know. I know because I gave to a gospel, a Christ exalting ministry and he was faithful with the money. He wasn't a scoundrel. He was faithful with the money. I know I am reaping eternal rewards because now that person I've never met now knows Christ. It's wonderful. I got to tell our church back home. You guys don't know this, and I I tell you guys this the same thing. That because when God sent us to India and I was preaching and teaching and I was training different pastors, there are now churches in Myanmar and in India that didn't exist before. Do you understand? And it is in direct relation for you helping us to get there. We are connected. Verse 12, you meet the needs of real brothers and sisters. Notice verse 13, because of the proof given by this ministry, glory is given to God. Notice, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution. What happens is when they hear, they say, they must love God. They must love God to live life with a loose hand. And verse fifteen, I think is the the best the best reason it images forth god 's gift. Notice Paul says he explodes he says that our giving images forth God the father 's giving. He says here in verse fifteen, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift, and we already know in first corinthians fifteen and in this text as well. That he likens it to sowing. What was God the Father's indescribable gift? It was Christ himself. And even as Christ was sowed in the ground. Do you understand? He died and was sowed in the ground. Just as a seed dies and is sowed in the ground. The Bible says and God says that we reap forth a hundredfold. And what is Jesus' hundredfold crop? It is the believers who trust in him. So what the Bible is saying. Is that as we give. As a reflection of God the father. It is imaging forth. The very image that God himself. Gave his son for us. See this gives. This goes way beyond. Oh put a couple dollars. In the collection plate. Father we come before you. Thank you. 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 By the generosity of your people. And I thank RBC. You have allowed us to meet indoors. When it was going to rain today. You have made this possible. You have done this God. You have. Uh, provided for your people. Help us all Lord. To take stewardship. Seriously. It's between us and you, God. You know this. Help us, Lord. You have given us your son. How could we not love you and give to the ministry that feeds our souls? In your name, amen.